Welcome to the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Wright, attorney, author, entrepreneur, and motivational speaker. This is the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast. Let's get started. Hi, welcome to episode 17 of the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast. Today we have with us Rachel Jones, who is a TikTok sensation, um, sharing her experience, her strength, her journey through abuse and her evolution into strength and recovery from her childhood trauma. Rachel, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. So your your story, just, you know, your life sort of story that you've been sharing on TikTok has just inspired so many people. And you've gathered about 12,000 followers and counting. And just a lot of people have been touched by your past, your present and everything that you've been through. So to start off, why don't you share a little bit more about your childhood and the experiences you had with your family? I know... You shared on TikTok that you had an abusive father and a really toxic grandmother. And why don't you share just to start off with your background and, you know, your early childhood experiences? So I grew up in a what they consider a cold household. I don't remember a lot of joy, a lot of laughter. My parents were not affectionate. And all, I can't even tell you when they even hugged each other. My dad was an alcoholic. He also was a marijuana user. And it seemed like, I don't know if he was always like that, because my parents were together for 23 years. So I don't know if it started out like that. But from my understanding, from my conversations with my mom, it pretty much took place after he got hurt working for the city of Dallas. He used to be a fitter and the abuse pretty much started there. So I think that he couldn't handle the fact that he just was not able to be a provider anymore. Mm-hmm. Mom also explained to me he did have a jealous streak as well, which I did see some of the times like my mom wasn't allowed to drive. My mom actually taught herself how to drive when she got in her 40s and this was after he died. So he was very strict in a lot of ways. He believed that a woman should be heard. I mean, shouldn't be heard. Mm-hmm. And it was it it wasn't a pleasant experience. I witnessed times where he would be very abusive towards my mom verbally and physically. With that being said, my mom tried to stay away as much as possible. She really wasn't a talkative person when it came to their relationship. It was whatever he said goes. While my mom was at work, most of the time, if he was under the influence of alcohol or just if he woke up in a bad mood or he took it out on me. So I was the next in line, whether it be verbally or it could be physically, however he was feeling at the moment. Now, it wasn't all abusive we did have good moments but it was literally just moments and most of those moments were when he was not under the influence of alcohol or if we was around other people he was the world's best day but behind those doors it was just a different story we didn't celebrate holidays 
it was just, it wasn't ideal. Like it was, it was almost like a lifetime story. How many brothers and sisters did you have growing up? So technically it's me, my baby sister, but I do have two older siblings, but they were, they had their own father. So me and my baby sister have the same father. Got it. So, so it was the four of you in the house with your abusive dad? Me and my baby sister and my oldest siblings, because my mom had them kind of young in age, they resided with my grandmother. So when you say your abusive father, you were next in line for the abuse. Did your mother do anything to protect you or? Most of the time when it happened, my mom wasn't there. Like my mom worked a lot, like because she was a sole provider. Like my dad, he received um, social security, but that really wasn't a lot. So my mom worked a lot. And most of the time when the abuse happened was when we was under the care of him while she was at work. I remember times, like one in particular time, I broke a glass while he was asleep and he woke up in such rage and I was so scared. And he came in, he grabbed me and asked me what happened. And I told him, I was like, I, I broke a glass. But the tremor and the fear that she heard in my voice, like I just automatically knew it was, that was it. Like it, that was going to be the end of it. And he slapped me repeatedly mm-hmm. so hard that my face kind of swollen up a little bit. And the only thing I remember him saying was, you better not tell your mom what happened. So he was putting ice packs on my face to try to get my swelling down on my face. Just so my mom would know, because my mom didn't, I think at the time she was working until like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And it was right after school started. So a lot of the abuse that happened with my dad, my mom didn't know what was written on because I was too scared to tell. And I feared that if I did tell my mom and she questioned him, then he was going to take out, he was going to retaliate against her. So a lot of this my mom didn't even know until I got older, up in age. Right, right. Now, you had said that your father died. And how, how old were you when he died? I was 11. And how did he die? My dad had seizures. He was also a type 2 diabetic. And he found out through the autopsy that he also had congestive heart failure. Right. So the day that he died, me and him, I had an altercation before school because of what I had on. And I told my dad that I hated him. The day that he died, I told him that I hated him. And I just, I hoped he died. That was just how I felt because I was tired of it. Right. So we was at school and the principal came in and got me. And she already had my baby sister. And she brought us to the office and she was like, um, I'm going to take y'all home. And I was like, oh, okay, because usually my mom would come pick us up or meet us or whatever because she couldn't drive, so she would walk to meet us at school. So I was like, oh, okay. So the principal took us home, and when we got there, the ambulance was there, the fire truck was there. My mom was just looking spaced out like she didn't know what to tell us. And we see my dad getting rolled out on the stretcher, covered up, and my mom tried to explain to us that he, he died. From what we was told, and based off the autopsy, he had a seizure first, and 
after the seizure, he had a heart attack. And that's what killed him. Mm-hmm. What was the fallout from all of that? I mean, he had been abusive to your mother as well. So, I mean, was there a lot of grief, confusion, regret, or was it really relief in the household? I'm going to say it was a mixture of everything. You can tell that my mom was relieved. I actually feel like if my mom, if my dad would have never passed, I do feel like my mom probably would have retaliated against him because she was just tired of the abuse and didn't know how to leave, when to leave. So I feel like everything was for a reason. God knew I needed my mother more than I need him in my life. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's part of the reason, you know, sense of relief came. Mm-hmm. I see like it's my mom got her color back. She started being more outgoing and more vibrant. But then at the same time, I feel like it was it was an anger on my end as well because I was like. I don't understand you. I went through all this with my dad, but you stayed or whatever. And my mom moved on fairly quick. Like six months later, I want to say six months later to a year, my stepdad came into my life. So I was like, I really have no time to grieve. Well, nothing like that. Like, it's like the day after the memorial, she was like, okay, well, it's done. Right. Let's live over our lives. She got rid of everything in the house, everything that belonged to him. Stop. So after he passed, your mother's mother got brought into the equation, grandma. And how did that sort of play into it? So my grandmother became very sick. She was also a type 2 diabetic. She also got diagnosed with Alzheimer's and stuff like that. So I feel like because my mom was the oldest, was the oldest girl, she felt like she was responsible for her. And pretty much her brothers and sisters kind of threw it on her like, look, mom needs help. You need to help her. Mm-hmm. So my mom, you know, moved her into the house. And then the verbal abuse started all over again with her. So it's it a minute. So it's almost like your abusive father died and the abuse almost just picked up where it left off when grandma got brought in. Yep. Exactly. Like she was, my memories of her, she was a very mean and just hateful lady. And it was only towards me and my baby sister, my cousins, didn't receive that same type of treatment. They were held up on a high pedestal. Whatever my cousins wanted to do, we had to do. My cousins wanted to play dolls. I had to play dolls. And that wasn't my thing like I wasn't into dolls and stuff like that and if I didn't listen to either her or play with my cousin the whoopings kind right and I'll get sent by myself okay if you don't want to play with them I'm going to whoop you and I'm going to send you by yourself so that's how it was growing up with her because during the breaks we used to go spend the month summer break spread like with her or whatever and then she actually moved in with us it wasn't more so of the physical abuse with her it was more verbal abuse with her mm-hmm. it's pretty much like she tried to pay my life on how my life was going to be she called me lesbians she called me dykes and 
Oh, I said I was not amount to nothing and I was going to have a busload of kids and nobody was going to never want me. And this was sort it's of like the she repeat. what she went This was sort of the repeat of what your mother had gone through with her, right? Like your grandmother projected on your mother, your mother's whole life. So how did your mother's history of abuse by grandma impact your family dynamics? I mean, maybe even as to your dad. I mean, your mother experienced all of this trauma as a child from her mother. So, you know, did she have the wherewithal? Did that affect her wherewithal to maybe even like leave your dad before he died? Honestly, I don't think that everything that my mom went through, I feel like it just, it crumbled her and it made her so sheltered. It's, I feel like my mom, you know how you, a, a puppy, how you discipline them and they just kind of cower up and tuck their tail and just run for cover? Mm-hmm. I believe that's the effect that they had with my mom. Mm-hmm. She was just too scared to talk. Too scared to let anybody know what was going on. Too scared to leave. And I feel like she had that fire in her, but by her not communicating, by her not having any help, she was just like, you know what? I'm just going to take it. It's not killing me. I'm just going to take it. Whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to try to raise my kids. Hopefully my kids see what's going on and not, go through the same thing in their adult life. Mm-hmm. Not only that, I, I kind of believe that, well, I'm not going to say that. One thing I want to say is in our community, the Black community, mm-hmm. we don't believe in therapy mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, people feel like, um, you'll be all right. You're okay. Yeah, it happened, but, I mean, it could be worse. It's always an excuse. And with those excuses, it just kind of have you second thinking, like, am I overthinking the situation? Is it really that bad? Am I really going through this? Not knowing that you need to leave. Like, the flash of lights are going. Like, it's, it's either you're going to leave or you're going to be a product of your environment. Right. One, two. And I, I, like, that's what happened with my mom. Can you describe the turning point when your father passed away and your stepfather entered your life? And how did that change things for you, especially given all of the abuse that continued on with your grandmother? So shortly after my stepdad entered my life, my grandmother died when I was, I want to say 13, 14. She passed. When my stepdad entered my life, it was not easy. Like, I was very angry. So accepting him and wanting accepting him and him wants to be in my life, I was rejected from the start. I didn't want nothing to do with him because I felt like in my mind it was okay, here we go again, here go another man. He gonna come at her, he gonna take over, he gonna do this, he gonna do that. And I just in my mind, I feel like the abuse was going to continue. So I was not receptive to him. I didn't want nothing to do with him. I gave him the hardest time or whatever. It was times that he was trying to talk to me. Didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want no relationship with him or his kids. I just wanted it to finally be me, my sister, and my mom. 
that's all on me. But the turning point was me. I got sick. I got diagnosed with acid reflux at a young age. And that morning, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was hurting really, really bad. So I made it down to the other end of the hallway, which is where my parents' bedroom was at. And I called him dad. I was like, daddy, I'm hurting. And he jumped up and he, it's like he looked at me kind of confused. It was like, she called me daddy. Because for a long time, it was, it was Mr. Archie, Mr. Thomas. Mm-hmm. I would not address him as dad. I didn't even want to look at him as a father figure. So mm-hmm. when I called him that, he was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, oh my God, my child is in pain. What do I need to do? And I was like, daddy, I'm hurting. Wow. That I got rushed to the hospital. Mm-hmm. He was right there. Yep. And it's like, that was the turning point of me and his relationship. Like, we actually started bonding. Mm-hmm. He taught me how to swim. Mm-hmm. Most of the cooking skills that I do possess is because of him. We yep. found something in common. Mm-hmm. Then I started, he started asking me questions about how I was with my dad. I told him what was going on with my dad and, you know, what was going on in school because I was bullied in school as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like he, communication was the turn point for me and him mm-hmm. and knowing that he was there. And he started giving me the skills and started boosting my self-esteem and making me feel better about myself because I was an absolute wreck. I didn't know how to feel about myself right. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we experienced our first Christmas with him. Um, and up to that point, there were no holidays, right? There were no Christmas gifts. There were no, were there birthday gifts? No birthdays. We didn't celebrate birthdays, nothing. It was a very cold household. Like my dad, my biological father, he, oh, happy birthday. That was all the time I feel so happy birthday. It wasn't no gifts, no cake, no laughing. Was there a tree? I mean, was there a Christmas tree? No. Nothing. Nothing. Oh. We did not have any Christmas pr- Christmas trees. Nothing. We didn't sell. We didn't celebrate no holidays. None. It was when I say it was a very cold household. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I didn't know what affection was until my stepdad came into my life, and that was later on in my teenage years. Is when he came along, and that's when I started noticing my mom like the affection between them two and can I give you a hug and give me a hug and just comfort me in my down times and just understanding that I'm not trying to be me, you know, trying to be distant from you. I'm just trying to heal. Right. So my stepdad was really patient about that as well. That's, um, that's amazing. I mean, he played such a huge role in your healing process and supported you emotionally at this vulnerable time. And teenage girls, I mean, it's such a hard time. I mean, you said you were bullied in school. You had been through all of this trauma. And here he stepped in, took on a fatherly role. And how did that that sort of help your mom? Like your mother had been through really the same path as you right into her adult life. Did hit? I mean, he helped you in your healing process and supported you emotionally. Can you speak to how that helped your mother? Did you see any change in her during this period? 
I didn't. I seen a big child. It, it's like my mom stepped out of her cocoon. She, like I said, she taught herself how to drive. Mm-hmm. She bought her cars. My mother actually wore a wedding ring for the first time. Like, I don't remember my mom ever wearing a wedding ring. Yep. She, she wears her wedding ring proudly. She actually speaks up now. Like, if, if it's something that she does not like, she was tell you, no, I don't like it. It's like she has a voice now. Wow. And honestly, even to this day, my mother is in her 60s, and she shocks me every day more and more on how she just looks so comfortable and how she just looks more vibrant and happy. And just the life that I want to see my mom always live, I feel like she's living it now. She, she's she been going on vacations and cruises and that's something my mom did not do when she was with my dad. So it's just like, to see her, and I'm, I'm pretty sure she's still healing. I'm pretty sure she probably still have nightmares sometimes, you know, about this trauma that she went through with her marriage and with her mom, but she right. doesn't show it. Right. Like, she looks really good, and I'm beyond happy for her, still to this day. Yeah. Now, how did your relationship with your siblings evolve as you navigated the challenges of blending the family? So your stepdad had some other kids from a previous relationship, and then there was you and your sister. So how did that relationship evolve as your family sort of came together? Oh, that was not easy as well, because the three boys, Archie, Brian, and Rian, that's my stepbrother's name, they went through trauma with their mom and their grandma as well. So it's like when we all became one under one roof, it was a lot of tension, a lot of tension, a lot of chaos at first, but we learned how to communicate mm-hmm. and find each other trigger points. And we learned that sometimes we just need space. But communication played the biggest part of us blending our family and actually communicating to understand Instead of communicating to respond, played a big role. I love and, that. I love um, that. Communicating yeah. to understand mm-hmm. rather than respond. Right. Yeah, because I mean, I feel like some people, when when you're telling people what you're going through, the first thing, and this is human nature, the first thing that people do is they automatically think of judgment. It's that understanding. And they, and they think like you're just making excuses. It's not an excuse. I'm just trying to let you know why I am the way that I am and why I feel the way that I feel. You don't have to respect it or whatever, but at least understand where I'm coming from. And that played a big role in us blending our family. And like I said, initially, it wasn't all pieces of cream. Like, we fall a lot. I was just like, oh, I can't deal with this no more. I'm ready to go. How did, but- your, step- how did your stepbrothers feel about you calling their father dad? Like, that was part of, a, like, a healing, part of the healing phase for you. But was there any jealousy from them? Like, why is this girl calling our father dad? Like, how d- was there anything like that? It was a little jealousy at first. Uh-huh. It wasn't first, but after, I think what, what changed it is one day it was some little kids in our neighborhood and 
they were picking on my stepbrothers. So me and my baby sister, we rushed out there and they looked at us like, what y'all out here for? And I was like, y'all not going to do anything to my brothers. Like, what are y'all doing? It's like something clicked in them like, call me brother. Yeah, you are my brother. You're not my stepbrother. You are my brother. That's how I want to look at you. And that's the type of relationship that I want to build. I don't want to put step in front of none of this because right. that's not how I feel towards you. You are my brother. I am your sister. And after that moment, it's when the jealousy ended. Mm-hmm. And everybody just kind of started becoming one like, oh, that's my mom. That's my dad. And that's how we still, to this day, we tell people, oh, that's my dad. Like, a lot of people don't know that my biological dad died at 11. Because when I talk about my stepfather, I don't tell him, oh, this is my stepdad. I introduce him as, as my dad. This is my father. Mm-hmm. And I just, now, if I'm telling the story, then, of course, I have to bring up my dad. And some people look confused, like, I thought this was your dad. Yes. It is, but I'm just keeping y'all up to space and y'all don't feel lost. But yeah, that was the turning point. Uh-huh. Now, your last name is John. So mm-hmm. is that the last name of your deceased father? Do you still yes. have his last name? Okay. Sometimes I get questions on TikTok and Facebook. I do this Q&A online where people sort of send me questions and I give them answers. And a lot of mothers want to change the last name of their kids to the new father if, like, the bio dad is in jail or not paying child support or not, you know, visiting with the kids. And I had one woman ask me, actually, if her 18-year-old son could take on the name of her new husband, his stepdad. So at 18, kids are emancipated, right? They can vote. They can pretty much do whatever they want to do. But... She wanted to know if he could adopt the son. She wanted to have her son get his last name, which I thought was nice. You know, if that's, you know, you want to sort of exhibit that whole family dynamic by sort of publicly all having the same last name. Had that ever crossed your mind or, you know, the family changing Jones to your stepdad's last name? Or is that not something you ever really thought about pursuing? So it's funny that you said that because when my dad, when my dad proposed to my mom, she did pull my little, me and my little sister to the side. She asked, she was like, hey, we're going to get married. Do y'all want to change our last name? At the moment, I was like, no, like I'm not marrying him. You marrying him. So what I got to change my last name for? But then once I got older, it did cross my mind again. But I was like, Having his last name is not going to change how I feel about him. Right. Like, I don't need his last name to show that I love him and that he's my dad. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not needed on my end. Right. But it has crossed my mind before. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the way that he treats me, he doesn't consider me as a stepchild. So in my eyes, whether it's legal or not, I'm a Thomas because mm-hmm. that's the love that he shows me. Right. Right. Now. Can you share any strategies or coping mechanisms that helped you deal with the trauma of your past as you've sort of evolved through your journey? One thing that I learned to do, and this may sound cliche, but writing. Writing helped me tremendously because I wasn't, I I didn't keep it bottled up in here. 
I didn't keep it up here. I released it. So writing, communicating, talking about my trauma, like what I'm doing right now, talking about it. And as I got older, after I felt like this wasn't enough, I decided to get a therapist mm-hmm. and talk about it and make sure that my feelings are validated, that I'm okay. Like I said, in the Black community, for some odd reason, therapy is kind of frowned upon. Like, what do you therapy for? But sometimes you need to hear a biased response. You got to have a biased conversation just to make sure that things that you went through, that your feelings, that they're not just void. So, and prayer. Prayer, prayer. I cannot stress this enough. Prayer is what helped me through a lot of the trauma and helping me to forgive. The biggest thing with me was to forgive. Because even though my dad been gone for quite some time, I still never really forgave him for what he did and how he treated me, how he treated my mom. I never forgave him for that. I can say I literally forgave him on his anniversary, April 13th, 1999. That's when he died. Yeah. I wrote a long letter and I prayed and I burnt. I burnt the letter. Mm-hmm. And that was me forgiving him. Mm-hmm. And also I had to learn that forgiveness is something that you, you, you actually have to forgive them. You can't bury it and leave the hatching up. Like you have to bury everything and never bring it up in a negative way. Right. So. So tell me, you weren't able to really forgive him on your own. You had to pray for God's strength to help you forgive. Exactly. That's a hard prayer to say. That is yeah. a hard prayer. That's a hard prayer to pray. I mean, yeah. you are telling it. To swallow that like, God, I'm coming to you because I need, I need to learn how to forgive. Mm-hmm. I need to learn. Uh, I need to learn forgiveness. I need to learn clarity. And I need to learn understanding. Mm-hmm. Give me your heart mm-hmm. because I need it right now. Because if I'm using the heart that it, as man, mm-hmm. I'm not going to forgive him. Right. We're human. We have emotions. Like, right. And it's all over the place most of the time. So I had to, what's that bracelet they have? WWJD? That was just, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Bible says, you know, we have to forgive. You know, if if you're a Christian, you don't have a choice. You're ordered to forgive. And it's hard to do. As human beings, you know, we're flawed and forgiveness is hard. I know in my own life, you know, I had a toxic relationship with my dad and finding the strength to forgive him, I didn't have it. You know, I mean, and it took years of yeah. you know, work through and spiritual growth to, you know, get the strength, find it and receive it from God to forgive. It's just not something that can be done. It's like, oh, well, you know, forgive and forget. You know, I mean, that's, you know, so cliche. It's, it's, you'll, you never forget, you know, but with prayer, you're right. You're absolutely right. The forgiveness does come in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to literally take it one day at a time. I mean, just because you pray to God to give you the guidance and the clarity to be on the road to forgiveness, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen overnight. You literally have to put in the work. And you have to mean what you say, because once I give you that answer, 
You have to be ready to receive it. Right. Right. Did you harbor any resentment against your mother for not being strong enough in your early years to sort of rescue you and your sister from the situation? I did. Mm-hmm. And where I, do you stand with your, your mother right now? Me and my mom, since we had that round table talk, I asked her a lot of questions. I'm like, why did you study? Like, you, just, just what you went through alone, the abuse and, and everything that you went through, why did you want us to be around it? Why did you stay? And her answer was, I wanted you to be raised in a two-parent And I get it. I understand it. Like, it's so many single parents out here. And she was raised in a single-parent household. So, again, she wanted us to live that dream. And honestly, I don't know if I would have or would not done the same. And then just for me, and my own experience for being in, the, in a domestic violence relationship, I was scared to leave. I, I was terrified. So my mom, she expressed that too, that she was scared to leave. Where was she going to go? What was she going to do? She didn't want to raise us in a shelter. Mm-hmm. She couldn't go to my uh, grandmother's house. Mm-hmm. So she pretty much popped out of her head. She had no choice but to stay. Right. So we, we had a long conversation. Me and my mom's relationship, it's never been bad, but I did kind of hold a little grudge against her because I'm like, mama, like I needed you in this time and you wasn't there. And I asked her, was were you not there because of fear or were you not there because you was trying to, to provide for that? Like, what was your reason of not being there when I needed you, when I was coming home from being bullied for the day or just the stuff that I was going through with my dad? Like, and my grandmother, when we went over her house during breaks and stuff like that, why you wasn't there? And she was like, I, I tried to be there as much as I could, but I had to provide. Like, your dad wasn't really providing anything, so I had to work. Y'all needed. Y'all are two young girls. Y'all needed stuff. Y'all was involved in activities at school. Who was going to pay for that? Right. So the resentment came, the resentment left once we had that, that conversation. And I can up to say after we had that talk, which happened when I was like 20, 21. I want to, we had been talking. Our relationship has been actually better ever since I released my thoughts on the relationship and everything and everything that I went through in the past. Um, Rachel, how long have you been in therapy for? I started therapy in 2021. And I did there for like a year almost. It was almost a year. And then I stopped because I felt like I was just kind of over everything. And then financial reasons, I quit going to therapy. And then I resumed back actually two months ago. Okay. And with the therapy, is are there any sort of lessons or insights from your past that you feel like the therapy has played a role in? I do feel like, well, for one, I'm glad that I did go back to therapy. Mm-hmm. I was then out there. I'm really glad I did because it was other things that I needed to work on. 
far as myself, excuse me, like self-esteem, I started feeling myself being a little bit into about some things because I started thinking about the past. So since I've started back going to therapy, I have noticed a different light about myself. Like now, sounds crazy, but actually pursuing my dreams and stuff like that. Like I want to be a content creator, mm-hmm. which is why or a TikTok. So that on that journey. So I mean, therapy has helped a lot. It has helped me realize a lot. It made me realize that I have an inner strength that I didn't even know that I had. You absolutely do. You absolutely do. And like everybody's telling me, oh, you have this light about you. You're so, it's it's your vibe, it's your energy. And honestly, that part of me, I kept sheltered because I was like, I don't know if I need to show this around everybody, but my therapist told me, I was telling her about what I wanted to do as far as like TikTok and stuff like that. She was like, maybe you should use TikTok as like a journal. Maybe you can do that. And that's pretty much what I do now, like besides cooking lives. But that's why I just get on there and vent and voice my opinions. And it's so crazy how many people and how many comments I get that is feeling the exact same way. Oh, yeah. That feeling. But I have to thank my therapist because my therapist was like, maybe you should try that. Maybe you should do that. And look at me now. 12.5. It's crazy. It's crazy. You are just helping and blessing so many people. And you've got a new YouTube channel that you're going to be, you've created it and you're going to be adding to. And I know everybody's just thrilled to see what you've got coming down the pike in terms of content, you know? I mean, it's just, it's an amazing journey. So what advice would you give to others who are dealing with similar abusive family histories and are striving for healing and acceptance? The first thing I'm going to say is leave. That's the first thing I'm going to say. I know it's easier said than done, but leave. You can make it on your own. Mm-hmm. You can strive. You can grow. Talk. Get your community or whatever, some trusted people that you can go to for help. Because my mom didn't have, she didn't have a community. When they say it literally takes a village, mm-hmm. it takes the village. But you have to find those people that you're able to consult in mm-hmm. to help you get through it. Gotta help you leave. But that's the first thing is leaves. Well, actually, no, that's the second thing. The first thing I'm going to say is acknowledge that abuse is not okay. Right. It's not okay. Love is not supposed to hurt. Even if it's verbal abuse, it's not supposed to hurt. Right. People that do not see the good in you do not need to be, you don't need them in your circle. Right. Blame. Exit the situation. Make your strategy on how you're going to leave. Once you do that, make sure you always keep God first. Mm-hmm. Make sure you pray and make sure that you order, ask him to order your steps and give you guidance. Right. That's the third thing. Mm-hmm. And also, don't be scared to talk. Do not be scared to communicate. Don't be scared to, to, um, Go to therapy. If you feel like you cannot do this for long, go to therapy. 
It is nothing wrong with it. They have virtual appointments. They have all type of therapy out here. Even if you go to a shelter, I know shelters, some shelters have therapy sessions that you could take advantage of. And once you leave, don't go there. Mm-hmm. Cut off all communication. Right. Not even, hey, how you doing? I'm just like, cut off all communication, even if you have to change your number. Right. Turn it off. What advice do you have for people who are in the process of forming or adjusting to a blended family on their own? So one thing that we used to do as a family is once, maybe twice a week, we would have family dinners mm-hmm. together because we was all involved in activities and stuff like this. So twice a week, we would do family dinners. At the family dinners, Whatever you wanted to say, say it. Mm-hmm. Even if you're going to hurt somebody's feelings, mm-hmm. let's talk about it. We right. talked about our days. We talked about if, if me and one of my siblings had an altercation, we would talk about it. Another thing when you said that, well, this would sound so funny, but if one of us got in trouble, we would have this thing called court. So my dad... <laughs> My dad would be the judge. My mom would be the bailiff. And the other sibling would defend you. Or what else? <laughs> and we had other people all over. They would be the, the jury. And our job was to plead that case. They <laughs> like the wild, like, you know, I did mess up. What? They kind of make a great TikTok video. <laughs> like acting it out. <laughs> we do that all the time, but communication, even those little fun moments, court or whatever, it try to make time for each other. Make time for each other. Make sure that y'all are able to communicate. Have those nights where you can be like, you know what? We're going to get some snacks. We're I said, we're going to have some family time. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk. Watch our day. What's been going on? And also, watch what you say. Because you can't take bank words. Right. You can, I say, regardless if you say you're sorry or whatever the case may be, you can't take that back. So be mindful of what you say. Communicate. Understand. Don't communicate. Just respond. Most of them are a family that prays together, stays together. Amen. So, yeah, it's going to be a challenge. Just know it's not going to be all just and cream at first because you're blending personalities. You're blending different mindsets. So you have to take that into consideration that everybody, regardless if y'all are blended family or whatever, everybody's not going to see your point of view. So sometimes you got to agree to disagree. It's nothing wrong with that. And just remember that it's more than one way to skin a cake. <laughs> Everyone's going to have their own ideas. True. So final thoughts, closing thoughts. What does acceptance um, mean to you and how has it played a role in your family's story? So, oh, acceptance, that's a, that's a, that's a, a crazy word. 
Because I feel like you're about it. really was a crazy word. In my mind, it sort of like comes back to that serenity prayer you hear like, God, give me the courage to accept the things I can change. The, the courage to accept the things I change. The, accept, the acceptance to change the thing. The, the, well, how does it go? Let me think. Lord, give me the, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Exactly. Exactly. So, I, I mean, to me, so acceptance, right? It's sort of like, it, it is almost sort of like a pat word, like, you know, well, acceptance, accept what, right? I mean, acceptance in terms of a changing family dynamic over time from trauma to peace and graduating sort of from peace into accepting the past. I mean, this is part of your story. Right. It speaks to the understanding that our story doesn't end at any given point. Life is just a continuing journey, right? Right. Accept the things we cannot change. You can't change your past, right? No one can change their past. But what you can do is use your past and you're doing this, you know, with TikTok, your new YouTube channel, you're launching. You can use your past to bless people and have a positive outcome. You know, even bad things, I think, can be used for good, ultimately. And, but not until you reach a point of acceptance. I mean, do you agree with that? I do. I do. I feel like personally, and it's just coming from a personal standpoint, I feel like that you can either let your trauma consume you mm-hmm. or you could let your trauma and you could take your trauma and you could turn it around and make it into something. That's why you have people starting shelters. Most of the people that started shelters was because either they done been homeless mm-hmm. or they now been in abusive relationships and stuff like that. You got counselors that maybe when they was growing up, they wanted just somebody to talk to. So they decided to, you know, since I didn't have nobody to talk to, I can come a counselor so people can come to me. If, if, Trauma can, can, can I say this? Trauma can make you go in different directions. Like I said, it's either you're going to let it consume you or you're going to turn it around and you're going to turn it into a positive life. Initially, like in my early 20s, I'm not even going to cry. I did let trauma consume me and I used it as a crutch and I sheltered my, myself. I used it as an excuse all the time, but then I, I got tired and I was like, you know what? I can do that. Mm-hmm. I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can build myself. I can get myself together regardless of what I've been, what I've been through. I can be a light. I can have somebody to talk to. I can share my story. What's stopping me from doing it but myself? Because I was letting all that trauma and all that fear console me. Mm-hmm. So the one that I didn't want to be a light, I just wanted like, you know what? Look, I went through it. Yeah, I went through it so what? And I was looking at it in a negative way instead of thinking like, you know what? I can be, I could turn this around. So slowly but surely between God, Kathleen, my stepdad, 
I start looking at things in a positive way and I start slowly turning my life around. Am I perfect now? Not by a long shot, but I know my journey is not over. And I'm still constantly coming up with new ways and new things that I could do to build on top of that trauma in a positive way, not a negative way. So what final words of encouragement and what message would you like to share with others who are on a similar journey of healing and embracing a blended family? Honestly, blended families are not, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience. Just know Rome was not built overnight. But the love, the actual love, will get you through those tough times. It will get you through those rough times. And if it's meant to be, it will be. And the family will be beautiful. You just have to put the work into it. Mm-hmm. Period. Like You have to do the work. Yeah, you can pray about it. You want God to bless your family. But if you're not putting in the work, God is not going to put that blessing in that family. It's not going to blend well. And mostly you have to understand you can't force love. It has to be unconditional. It has to be on it. It has to be received. Mm-hmm. If you don't have those things, a blended family is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you taking time out of your Saturday to come on. I'm going to put the link to your YouTube channel in the show notes to the episodes. If anyone wants to find Rachel, click the link below. I'm also going to throw your TikTok handle in the show notes down below so people can tune into your lives and find out more about what you going got going on in terms of content. Thanks again so much. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast. Remember, the information shared in our episodes is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. Stay informed. Stay empowered. This is the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast.